Today's gospel gives us the beginning of Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. That is to say, of how God's own son came into the world to share completely our human life and finally, in God's full power to overcome sin and death for our sake. And a week from today, on the Feast of Christ's Nativity, we will relive this pivotal event in world history and in our faith as disciples of Christ. Now the scriptures recognize that Christ's coming into the world is an event so profound, so mysterious, and so far-reaching that one single written account could never begin to sketch out for our limited human understanding its life-transforming meaning. And so we are given three accounts that fill out and complement one another when taken as a whole. Luke's gospel foregrounds Mary and her family, as well as the revelation to the shepherds, the gospel we hear on Christmas Eve. St. John's gospel begins with God's own word becoming flesh and so changing the whole world, the proclamation of Christmas Day. And here in Matthew's gospel, the story of Jesus revolves around the figure of Joseph. I will say something in a moment about this amazing figure of Joseph. But before I do that, I want to urge you in the coming week to take a little time really to prepare for Christmas in this way. Lay aside the hustle and bustle and travel for some moments. Pick up your Bible and read these three accounts of what actually happened, looked at from these three viewpoints. The first two chapters of Matthew, the first two chapters of Luke, and the opening section of John's Gospel. Please, just read them. Savor each one. And like Mary in Luke's Gospel, ponder them in your heart. The first two chapters of Matthew and Luke and the opening section of John. These are God's gift to us for Christmas. And now about Joseph. Get ready to be surprised. The Joseph we meet in Matthew's Gospel is about as different as possible from the kind of plaster saint we usually see in statues and pictures of him. What we are usually dished up is a mild-mannered, middle-aged man with a well-groomed beard, sometimes working away quietly in a carpenter shop. But the Gospels point to something very different. They call him, and the grown Jesus who works with him, tectones, construction workers, men who spent the day outdoors doing physically demanding and even dangerous work. In today's gospel, Joseph is a young man and he is betrothed to Mary. Now, this is something like being engaged today but scrub out the romance and the diamond ring. It's a binding social contract between two families. 
Joseph's older male relatives would have met with Mary's older male relatives and made this contract, probably when the future bride and groom were still in their teens, even their early teens. The contract would include a dowry which the bride would bring into the marriage, so there was money at stake too. And the marriage itself might take place only some years later. Until then, Mary would remain in her father's house and Joseph would remain in his. How different from our highly individual dating and mating customs today. This betrothal contract is fundamentally a social reality. The good name of both families is in play, as is the trustworthiness of contracts on which the whole social order is based. While we can assume that Joseph had visited Mary in her family's house, the two individuals uh, of the couple hardly knew each other at this point. This was the situation Joseph was in when he discovered his betrothed to be pregnant and not by him. Remember, what is, is at stake here is a social contract, not a love affair gone awry with personal resentment and jealousy. Joseph's family had been shamed. A good faith contract had been broken. And the law, found in the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, provides for an appropriate legal redress, which would involve stoning to death once guilt was established. It's probably fair to say that Joseph owed it to his family, to their reputation and good standing in the community to take just that step. Indeed, justice demanded it. And Matthew notes that Joseph was a righteous man, someone obedient to the law and loyal to his duty. But Joseph decided not to drag everyone through all this, but instead, as Matthew says, to divorce her quietly. There was a legal procedure for here, too. It was basically one-sided, no-fault divorce. The husband signs a legal document with two witnesses, and the wife is free to remarry. Coming to this must have been a wrenching decision to make, since obligations to family and justice are involved. But all that is nothing compared to the position that Joseph is put in next by a divine command, clearly understood by him in a dream, to take Mary and to complete the marriage contract by bringing her into his family's house. Now Joseph, cannot have understood the revelation about the Holy Spirit bringing about this pregnancy. And what will his family think? And what will the whole society think? But Joseph decides, he acts. In this we see the young construction worker's amazing courage and toughness. And we see his deep faith, his willingness to put God first, when he discerns God's call to trust in God and to abide by the consequences. 
and the consequences will be harrowing, as Matthew will tell us further when we come to Jesus' birth. King Herod, hearing that a new Jewish king of some kind will be born in Bethlehem, responds as tyrants all over the world do, with murderous violence. And here too, Joseph puts God's command first. He decides, he acts, he brings his infant son and his wife Mary, still weak from giving birth, into safety in Egypt, far away from everything he knows, across a frightening wilderness. And in doing this, it is not too much to say that Joseph saves the Savior of the world. As we prepare for the entrance of God's Son into the world this Christmas, we can hold up Joseph as an inspiration and example to us in our everyday ordinary lives. And we can do this especially in times of confusion or when obligations force themselves on us in conflicting ways or when we are immobilized by shock or when there just seems no way forward. Especially in these times, we can call upon the help and intercession of this simple, wise, and courageous saint, and we can follow his lead. Here are three steps. First, we can follow him in seeking out what we understand to be our duty, to be what is right. When he heard of Mary's pregnancy, Joseph did not seek out revenge or give in to passion. He didn't cut corners. He didn't seek the easy way out. He sought out what would be right, what a righteous person would do. And so in these impossible situations, we can follow Joseph by seeking out what is right, come what may. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing. Like Joseph, we can place everything in God's hands and listen for God's promptings. We can pray. We can ask for the, help, for the special help of St. Joseph himself. You know what? Everything is in God's hands anyway. And like Joseph, we just need to recognize this. So we can pray for the right decision with confidence. That's the second thing. And finally this, St. Joseph is our inspiration and our model when our faith prompts us to act on a decision, to act now before we can weigh all, all the consequences or even understand every side of the issue. Joseph simply woke from his dream and acted. As we prepare for the Lord's coming then, let us follow in the footsteps of Joseph. Seek what is right, pray for the clarity of mind to see it, and then Decide and act as God wills.
Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.